possible if you can focus on me. So, <laughs> Jess whispered to me that he uh, he fixed a lock as well. Uh, now that might sound insignificant, but that lock has been ticking everybody off for a long time, and he also fixed the lock. So that's way more important than the baptismal tank, I think. So thank you. The other thing I want to say, I, you know, we don't normally sort of highlight people that are. Well, maybe visiting, but Robert and Judy Clark are here today. Now, that name won't mean a lot to everybody, but to some of us who go back, say, 20 years, that means a whole lot. So can we just welcome Robert and Judy uh, back to the church? It's so good to have you here. Um, If you're wondering who is responsible for all the crooked woodwork in, the, uh, in our staff offices, it, it's, it's Robert. Robert is a builder, or certainly was a builder, and I have it on good authority that it drove you crazy, Robert, if I got that right, to put all the woodwork crooked and, and do all of that, but uh, just a great, great couple. So great to have you back as well, visiting with us. Well, uh, Travelling Light, uh, we're continuing our series today. Uh, series, which is quite serious, it looks at some of the mental health issues. I don't know if you're aware, it's Mental Health Month at the moment, so uh, we're following along with that. And last week we looked at depression. And uh, can I say there's a lot of linkage between the two messages, worry and anxiety and depression. And I'd encourage you, if you weren't here last week, jump on Catalyst Church uh, on YouTube you can grab the message there or you can also uh, download the podcast from iTunes and uh, those different places. So grab a hold of that. But today is worry and anxiety. Do you know that an estimated 45% of Australians will encounter a mental health uh, issue in their lifetime, a mental health condition in their lifetime? Uh, On top of that, Uh, In any one year, one one million adults will suffer some level of depression and two million adults will have anxiety this year in Australia. Two million, that's about 10% of us, two million Australians. It's no small thing. For some, uh, it is mild. Uh, For some, it's literally killing us. I stumbled really across an interesting um, point about Heath Ledger, the actor who overdosed on prescription medication some time ago, but an LA Times uh, journalist, before he passed away, he said this after he interviewed him, he said he's a weary and a restless man. Uh, Another journalist from the London Times who knew him quite well wrote that Ledger had worried himself to death. You know, this is no insignificant situation, condition. Charles Mayo of the famous Mayo Clinic writes that worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands and the whole nervous system. I've never met, he says, I've never met a man or known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who have died of worry. Again, serious condition, it's serious. So it's here in Australia, but the truth is it's not just here in Australia, Uh, it's happening in this church. Just because you're a Christian, just because you're somebody that says, I follow Jesus, doesn't mean that you're immune. Uh, In fact, I think it could be quite an unspoken issue in our churches, perhaps even this church. Doing the stats here today, if I've got it right, it would mean about one in ten of us, even today, this morning, are suffering some level of anxiety. One in ten of us. That means about 40 people over the course of the morning that you walk past will be dealing personally with this issue. If it's 
obviously not you, it means it's probably somebody in your row or the row behind you. So this makes it real. Think about the collective anxiety even in this room. And I can, can I just say for some of you, absolutely no guilt about that. For some of you, you did well just to get out of bed this morning and to make it here. But today we're believing for freedom. Today we're believing that the, the scripture, the word of God is going to speak to us and unlock uh, some of the principles that give us breakthrough in worry and anxiety. You know, Jesus spoke about it quite a bit. He understood this is going to be a part of our life. Uh, uh, the scriptures are open about this topic. Again, there's worry and anxiety that is mild and uh, there's anxiety that can be debilitating, that stops people functioning. Just to move quickly through some of the symptoms, feelings of panic, fear and uneasiness, problems sleeping, cold or sweaty hands or feet, shortness of breath, heart palpitations, not being able to sit still or be calm, um, dry mouth, numbness or tingling in the hands or the feet. Again, if that's you, if you sort of go through that list and you're ticking a lot off in that list, our immediate advice would be see a professional. You need to deal with the acute uh, illness that you're facing at the moment and uh, that's the way, the first step is to see a good uh, health professional uh, and begin to deal with some of those issues. Today we're going to be looking at some of the deeper causes and some of the long-term solutions when it comes to anxiety. The other thing I want to say is today, it's always worth saying this, we're not talking about troubles in life. We're not talking about just the issues that you face in life and the suffering that comes as we face those issues. Jesus promises us that we'll have trouble in this life. So that's to be expected. And in Matthew 26 it says uh, Jesus was actually troubled himself to the point of death. So as Christians we can expect trouble and we can expect difficulty in this life. But here's the real question. What will you do when you face these troubles and these issues as they come up. We know that sadness will come with them, but what will you do? And the way I look at it, to me, it's like a bit of a T intersection. So you face troubles and difficulties in life, but how you handle them will decide whether you lean into some of the principles that God gives us, and, and, or secondly, do you lean into worry and anxiety as you face these things that you will face? Again, mental health is complex. Uh, the answers provided today won't be just a quick fix. But the Bible gives us great principles that as we begin to apply, I believe categorically means we can overcome. So let's go there. In scripture, worry and anxiety is always counted with two fruit of the Spirit, two gifts of the Spirit, uh, joy and peace. See, God, again, he knows that you'll face these troubles in life, but he gives us these gifts, joy and peace, to overcome the worry and anxiety that we'll face in life. Today we're going to read from the classic text in Philippians 4, and uh, we'll also be looking at what Jesus says in Matthew 6 about worry and anxiety. So let's read Philippians first. Philippians 4, 4 to 8. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Great passage of scripture. All right, let's have a look at joy first. Philippians 4.4 tells us to rejoice always. Tells us to rejoice always. How is that possible? You know, joy is such an interesting word, I think, Uh, Joy is sort of like where our spiritual buoyancy comes from. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 9. Uh, We are pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. That is how we are. We are not down and out. We are crushed, but we are not destroyed. Paul, who wrote this, I think is talking about a spiritual buoyancy. He says you're going to go through these things in life, but you're going to come back up. It doesn't mean that you won't suffer, but it does mean that you won't be sunk. It does mean that you might get wet, that you might be pushed down, but you won't stay down. And I think that is a great picture of what joy does inside of us. Uh, joy again such an interesting thing to talk about the opposite of joy is not sadness because the bible tells us that we can be joyful when we're sad and also there's a big difference between joy and happiness happiness tends to be uh, how we're affected by the external things that are happening in our life now happiness is not a bad thing but happiness and joy are quite distinct things joy is a deep kind of reassurance of our security and our salvation in Christ and who God is in us there's a deep down conviction that says I know in my life I know the things that really matter to me and through all the things you go to you can say it's good with my soul and church that is found deep down in our inner selves you know the Bible is always talking about the value of the inner man and God's always concerned with strengthening us inside and us human beings are always concerned instead with the opposite. We're concerned with what's happening on the outside of us. We're concerned that our happiness comes from whether our bodies are healthy or whether our bodies look good. They're two big ones today, whether we have money, uh, whether people are treating us right, whether things are going well out there. You know, this is what makes us happy or unhappy but our good God says no it's got nothing to do with your circumstances your joy has nothing to do with your circumstances that's the reason why Paul's prayer for the churches is often so interesting Paul's prayer for the churches doesn't deal with the external circumstances so often when you read them you know when you consider all the the prayers that Paul writes for the churches there's all sorts of things going on oftentimes the Christians of the time were being taken by the police of the time dragged off to jail and unfairly imprisoned now you would fully expect that in that moment we would have evidence in the letters of Paul that he would say listen I'm on my hands and my knees daily praying that this wouldn't happen that justice would prevail that you would be freed from jail and I've said this before I don't think for a second that Paul didn't ultimately pray for those things but the things that find its way into scripture are nothing like that at the end of the day 
that prayers like we find in Ephesians 3, 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's where Paul prays because Paul is understanding that if you are strengthened in your inner being, you can face anything that is coming at you in life, any of the struggles that are happening. So he's praying far beyond circumstances to change. But he's praying that we'll be people that are overcoming in our life despite the things that are coming against us. Honestly, that is so powerful for us to understand in our Western mindset which judges everything by what is happening on the outside of me. To get to a place of real joy and buoyancy, spiritual buoyancy in my life where I am good no matter what. Can you imagine the strength that comes with that? Listen to the end of 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but is on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He's talking about joy there. He's talking about a power that comes from somewhere else. That's where our joy comes from. A joy that overcomes worry and anxiety and the troubles that you have in this world. When we fix our eyes not on the seen, the external, the things that are out there, but on the unseen, we start to understand what joy is in our life. And we pray for ourselves beyond anything else. God, as I go through these things, the first thing I want to pray, God, strengthen me in my inner being. Do something deep within me that I am resilient despite the stuff that is happening in my life. Now, we're about to find out that there is no doubt about it that God doesn't mind us asking about these things that are happening in our life. But if you're going to pray, begin with that prayer. As you mature in your faith, begin with the prayer that says, God, my life is not found in what is happening out there, but my life is found in you. Strengthen me, God. Give me a joy. Let me understand this fruit of the Spirit. Let me be impervious, God, to the world that is around me. And, I, you know, I was with somebody last night, a fascinating gentleman who talked about uh, the state of the world and just gave some perspective that the world is in a very precarious state. But where we're set apart, where we're different, is when we have a joy that is impervious, that resists the temptation to give in to everything that is happening in the outside world and says, there's something solid in me. That's where my joy comes from. All right, so that's joy. We're going to spend more time on peace. What does the Bible say about peace? The opposite of peace is anxiety. Where do you get Peace from Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. So much great, packed with great stuff, this passage of scripture. Just some really easy principles here. The first thing we do, very clear in scripture, is we ask as we're facing these things in life. We ask asking about these things as you look at scripture again God our good father is continually saying ask me ask me about life ask me for the things that you want and he's not like a 
like a, a father on earth that reaches a sort of a limit when our children continually ask us for things. He's, he's a good God. He just continues to come to me and ask. And so we should ask. There's a power in opening your mouth and just asking. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you've been burdened down with something, weighted down, and something that you feel is overwhelming. It's, that's too much for you. And you have simply sat with somebody and told them your situation and felt better at the end of it. Is anybody, can anybody relate to that? I mean, it's, in, it's an incredible thing. Nothing has changed. It's happened, to, it's happened to me countless times in my life where I've walked away and gone, nothing changed. But I feel better because I've simply shared my burden with a friend. I've simply spoken out the issues of life that are happening to me to a friend. It's also a little bit like this. I was thinking about it. It's like this. If you're in a dark and scary house one night on your own and you, you know those times when you hear those creaky noises in the house and the lights are all off everywhere else and it's dark outside and things are cracking and popping and you're looking around. It, it's never happened to me, but I'm sure it's happened to you, right? And I'm just going to tell you, it's an incredible thing when this happens, when somebody comes and joins you again in that moment. Now, that person can be your six-year-old little sister. Has anybody ever had this happen? Your little six-year-old sister comes and joins you in the dark house. There's all this stuff happening and you feel better, right? But it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you think about it for a second. Does the maniac that is outside go, well, there's a six-year-old little girl in there now. I'm not going to break into that house and murder them. I don't know about that six-year-old little girl. And yet, don't we feel better because somebody is with us? And this is what I'm trying to say about asking God. God, how much better is God than a six-year-old little sister? He's a million times better. He is capable to deal with the junk and the struggles that we have in our life. He does know, he does see, he's all-powerful in that situation. And so we go to him and we ask. And we say, God, I need to share my burden with you. And things change. In 1 Peter 8, we're told to cast our anxiety on him. We cast our anxiety on him. I just want to do a bit of a demonstration with this. If I have this bottle here, and I'm going to and I'm going to cast my anxiety. This is what the scripture is actually talking about. It means that we walk up to somebody, <laughs> we take the lid off, and then we, I feel like doing that sometimes. But we, t- we, we get, this is our anxiety, all right? My water bottle is my anxiety. This is what it literally means. We cast our anxiety. Are you ready, Dave? I don't want to scare you. And we cast our anxiety on God. That's what that scripture is talking about. Now, two things happen there in that moment. First on, first one, very clearly as you read the scriptures, I had to do something. I had to action that action. And I just want to say that's an important step because sometimes with the anxieties in life that we face, we just sort of think God will just come and pluck them from us. No, the scripture says, present your request to God. Cast your anxieties on him, right? So that's important. The other one, what's the other obvious thing that happened with that water bottle just then? It it was received. I what? I let it go. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? 
but I now no longer own the anxiety. I've let it go. This is how I think we sometimes cast our anxieties on God. Hey God, I'm just going to quote Philippians 4 to you. Would you just take my anxieties? I cast them on you. Just take them. And, and you know, it, am I right? We never let it go. It still belongs to us and we nurture it and we hold it and think, oh, precious, you know. We hold on to the anxieties of life. We never let it go. And that passage of scripture is telling us, do something about it and let it go. And I, just a little small side point on that. It's so important, as you know, there's so much on this topic. But yes, if you can do something about the worries of life, do something. The Bible talks about this. There is grace on you in that moment to do something about the things you can do about it today. Do something. But the things you cannot do something about, let them go. The beauty of the Christ followers, we can give them to God. We can hand them over to God and say, God, they belong to you. All right. How do we ask? Because I think this is the real key. Notice a little word shoved into the middle there. Can somebody tell me the word that's shoved into the middle of that little passage of scripture? How do we ask? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Scholars scream this at us. Don't miss that word in this, the middle of this passage of scripture. What does that mean? How can you be thankful for something when you're making a request for that thing? You know, the answer to this, honestly, is I think the key to this whole thought. It's the secret. The answer is you are thankful to God before you make the request because you are saying to God, whatever you do in response to this, God is good. And I thank you for it. So this means if I'm asking you for something at the wrong time and you don't give it to me, I'm thankful for that. If you give me the opposite to that which I ask you and it might be difficult and I might not be happy about it and I might go through some grieving and some sadness, but I know you are God and I know that whatever you're doing is about ordering my life, that you are sovereign in this world and I'm thankful for that. To thank God ahead of times for the things that we're going through in our life is, is, I think, the secret of this passage of Scripture. Because that's when you have a confidence and a peace. There is something about your demeanor, the way you approach God, which says to God, and here's the key word, God, I trust you. God, I trust you from the depths of my being. There is no way you can thank God in advance for whatever answer he is going to give you unless you trust him. Listen to Jesus talking about prayer and worry in Matthew 6. He really says the same thing. I'm going to read the whole passage. Watch how he weaves trust into this. 6.25 Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food or the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and yet the heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you can, by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? 
See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, thrown in a fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Oh, Jesus is saying one thing, he's saying many things, certainly one thing in that scripture, he knows. He knows and he's able to provide. Look at what he says about the lilies of the field. He's he's basically saying, do you not understand the lilies of the field? They're just, they're they're pieces of grass and yet look how beautifully dressed they are. They They don't have a soul, they're not even technically alive and yet, and yet he says they're cared for. He talks about diamond dozen birds that are cared for. And he's saying, do you think for one minute your heavenly father, the God almighty in heaven doesn't know what you need, who you are, the vision, the dreams and the basic requirements of your life. He's imploring people, he's saying, don't worry because he knows what you need. Approach him like you would approach a father. So it's the easiest thing in the world to say, oh, I'm going to quote Philippians 4. I'm going to plant my concerns and my worries on God. But we do it in such a way that there's no trust. There's no sense of who God is in the situations that we go through. Asking is not the whole story. How we approach God as we ask speaks so much about our faith and our trust in him. And honestly, if you let that truth change your heart, it will change you. I can't tell you a number of times, I think in the past, I've prayed that prayer about this church or finances or a relationship or whatever it might be. And I've waited sort of five or ten seconds and I've wondered, where's the peace? Where's the peace, God, that you said that you'd give me? And it's not there. And my feeling is it's not there. Why? Because I'm approaching God more like a a genie in a bottle just fix my issues than I am a good father in that circumstance how do you say thank you before you ask before you know the answer only if you know that the giver is good and so we spend less time asking and more time knowing if we don't know that spend more time knowing God the father See, if we come with thanksgiving, if we discipline our thinking in that moment, then that peace cannot help but find its way into the depths of our soul. And that, I think, is the fundamental aspect of our Christian faith taking root in our lives. Trust. Trusting God. You cannot say thank you in advance unless you trust God. Here's the final thought for today. We focus. One of the things that you find out as you study this word, worry, anxiety, it's, it's the English words, worry and anxiety, are used interchangeably in the New Testament, is it's the same word. It's the word merimneo. And it actually is interesting. It means to have a split focus. So anxiety comes very clearly from the scripture when we have a, a split focus and our focus isn't the right place. Listen to a few examples. Again, Matthew 6, Jesus says, so don't worry, and that's Marimne, oh. He says, 
saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Interesting reinforcement of that word there. He's saying the pagans run after them. The irreligious, those that don't know me, don't know that I'm their father, they run. And that word has an intensity about it, a desire about it. And so the things that we want, the, the, the credit for that work or the, the, the A grade that we desire, we're running, we're literally with intensity, searching for nothing, searching for that thing over there, pushing into this thing. That relationship issue, whatever it might be, we're running, we're splitting our focus into all of these different things. In Luke 10, Mary and Martha have just come to visit Jesus and it's a well-known story. And again, Martha is, what is she doing? She's running around after all these things. She is marimneo, Jesus says. You are anxious. Martha, you're, you're splitting your focus. You're running after many things, but one thing is needed. In this passage in Philippians, it's the same word, marimneo. Again, distracted got your focus in all of these different areas so it's clear that the root cause of anxiety is distraction being focused on too many things at the wrong time too many options things that you feel you need or perhaps you don't which is possible but sometimes it's it's things that you do need and I just want to make that point this is not saying that we have to stop just doing life In fact, in that passage in Matthew chapter 6, it's talking about the necessities of life, right? You can't turn up, you can't listen to this message and say, well, Carl said I don't have to worry about clothes. I'm not getting dressed this morning because it's just going to distract me from my core purpose. You will get locked up if you do that. You know, I'm not worrying about food, I'm not eating anymore. No, these are the necessities. He's not saying that these things aren't important, that these issues of life might not come against you. you I'm also not saying that everything is necessary. Some of these things might need to be cold, but some of these things are necessary. He's saying, focus on what matters most. And in Philippians here, Paul says in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think on these things. This is the answer. In Matthew, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You know, to Mary, to to Martha, he says, one thing is needed. Always the answer in the scripture is to come back to the thing that matters the most and you'll deal with the anxiety that's in your heart. See, peace ultimately comes from our focus. In Philippians there, it says, think on these things. Peace comes from thinking, but thinking about the right things. Sometimes we think that the end to worry is stopping thinking. I don't know if you've ever tried that. You know, if I just stop worrying about that thing, it works for how long? Is it even five seconds? You know, if I just stop thinking about that thing, then I'll be okay. No, it's probably because you're not thinking enough that you're worried. You're just thinking about the wrong things. Whatever you do, you replace your thinking with the right things. You know, you can either talk to your heart or listen to your heart. David says in Psalm 42, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And then he speaks to his own heart and he says, Put your hope in God. Now this is how it works with 
worry and anxiety, you are going to wake up tomorrow morning. This is just how it works. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning and this might have impacted you, this message, right? But tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and your heart is going to present you with the list of the things that are necessary for that day, right? And doesn't your heart just do this? It just, you know, just tells you about, you've got to do that assignment, you know? Oh, there's that email that's waiting to be, you know? Oh, your mother wants to have dinner on Tuesday. <laughs> got to tell your husband about that, you know? And your heart starts just, oh, got to run over here. And, you, and that's what your heart does, split focus. And next thing, you're just like, oh, I got to follow this thing around. And, and we can listen to our heart in that moment or we can speak to our heart in that moment. You can listen or you can talk Worry will come from listening to your heart. Peace comes from talking to your heart by telling it the right stuff. You're not just saying, hey, heart, I heard a funny joke today. (laughs) You know? Knock, knock. Who's there? You know, your heart will want to speak to you to distract you from the most important cause, which is to focus on him. This is just life. Your heart will do this. And what does Paul say? He says, think on the right stuff. Stop being so multifocused, spread out, stressed about everything. Tell your heart to come back and concentrate. Think on what is right, pure, lovely. Think on these things. So let's just take the first one, truth. I think maybe this is the most powerful. Truth. You know, the beauty of anxiety is you can let it lead you to what is really going on in your life. I think that is such a critical key. Sometimes we just allow anxiety to touch us and then we medicate ourselves against it. And that can be as dangerous as anything. I'm not saying medication, by the way, never has a place. But all the different ways we medicate. Sometimes it is medication. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's activities which are outside of God's grace for our life. There's all different ways we medicate. We never stop to say, what is going on in me? Where is this, this stress and this anxiety and this worry coming from? So we let it speak to ourselves. The scripture says, God works together all things for good for those that follow him. So that means everything. It means worry, anxiety that's in my heart. I can let it work for my good. Okay, worry, you're there. I can feel your anxiety. What's going on? What is going on? And you, you let it find its way down into your soul and let it speak to you. Sometimes that might need a friend to help talk it out. Sometimes it might need a professional counsellor to help work out what is going on. But when you find that thing, you find the truth that's associated with that thing. You know, part of my journey at times is just simply being intimidated by, by people. So I've learnt just to focus sometimes on scripture that speaks to that. And I'll just speak that truth. I replace that truth with the anxiety that's gnawing away at my heart. Psalm 56, 3-4. When I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I will trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? You try saying that scripture to yourself 10 or 20 times and see if worry doesn't run for the hills. As you begin to replace truth in your life. It says what is right. 
It says, think on what is right. Again, understanding what that means, it means what is just. So what this means, sometimes we do this, and I'll just pick an easy example, but we're having an argument with somebody at work, there's an email conversation going back and forth. Whoever has done this, you don't have to put your hand up, but you play out that thing in your head, right? And who's ever done this where in your mind you open the door of that office and you walk up to that person and you have superhuman strength and you lift them up like this and put them down in their, you know, and you give them what for in your mind because it doesn't matter, right? It's just the world of make-believe, right? But what the scripture is saying is if it's not right out there, it's not right in here. Make sure it's right what you're thinking and dwelling on. Do not let your mind take you to a place that is not right. If you let your mind take you to the place that is not right, you'll be anxious. You'll have a split mind. You'll feel that anxiety rising up in you. And you'll wonder why when you are walking into that office that morning, where is this anxiousness coming from? You brought it on because you allowed your mind to go to places that it shouldn't go. Whatever is right, whatever is noble, it's, this one is about worship. So just find the things in life about God that are worshipful and find ways to worship God in them. And you know, C.S. Lewis talks about seeing the things that, and the, the lovely things in life that it talks about there in the scripture, seeing these things, but allowing ourselves, has a great way of putting it, allowing like the sunbeam, that following the sunbeam up to the sun. You know, allowing ourselves to find God in the pleasures, the lovely, the worshipful things of life. Always not worshipping the thing. I mean, this can even mean you go to a beautiful restaurant, have a beautiful moment. Well, you don't worship the food and the, the chef. You might say thanks and that's, that was a great experience, but you allow that to roll up to the giver of life, the one who will satisfy all desires one day. And so you allow your mind, you're always talking to your mind, your heart. I'm going to worship God. I'm I'm going to make sure my thoughts are in the right place. So joy and peace. Present your request to God. Trust your Father and narrow your focus. You know, today, just as we finish, I don't want to give the impression again, you're hearing me say this, oh, here's four quick points. Everyone should be right today should never be another problem. Truthfully, this is a daily habit. This is a discipline of the mind. This is a daily walking into the grace of God and allowing these truths to to rest in me. I was listening to one minister on this topic this week. He talked about a minister of a large church. He talked about a two-year journey of letting some of these truths begin to touch his life. I think there is so much truth in that. So we're not selling you short today not saying just great is everybody done no we're saying this is what we begin to apply to our life we let it to find its way deep to the recesses of our soul but the scripture does say don't be anxious it tells me there is hope for us there is hope jesus says in matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest how does he have the right to say that because he's big enough to handle them. Now, he's not the little sister with you in that house. He is the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-gracious, all-loving, all-seeing, ever-present God. 
And he says, give them to me. Give them to me and let go of them. You know, some here today, you know him, but you're not letting go. Some here today aren't even seeing him as the good father. And there's some maybe issues you're going to work through with you and God on that. Some here today, some of the message here is a bit of a blur because it is talking about going to God as a father and you've never experienced that. You know, the scripture says we can have the peace of God in Philippians, but in Romans it tells us we need to make peace with God. And for some here today, you need to make peace with God. You need to take that first step. And the scripture tells us that we can be received by God as sons of God. Do you know him as your father? Do you know him as your father? You know, simply today, I just want to take the chance. We're going to close. I'll pray in a minute. But I do want to take the chance just to pray. Maybe for some, it is a first step of saying, I just need to let go of some things. And we will pray with you this morning in that regard. But take that first step. Allow that truth to touch your life. And I do believe the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your words of truth. We thank you that you are so understanding of us human beings, of the frailty of men and women. God, you don't condemn us, you don't judge us, you don't point your finger at us, you provide a way home back to you. And that is through your Son, that is through ever-increasing levels of trust in our own life. And we pray here this morning that we would just wholeheartedly begin to walk that journey. God, we'd have grace for ourselves when we stumble and when we get distracted, and that we would just simply come back to you. And especially, Father, for those that have not made that decision for you to be the Father in their life, I pray that you would draw them to you and that decision would not be far off. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're finished for today. Again, love to pray with you at the front here, but please continue on conversations in connect groups as well or at the coffee shop. And uh, have a fantastic week and next week.